Good morning. So you guys came. Sitting back there kind of wondering if anybody was going to be here because it's pretty cold outside if you hadn't figured that out already. I want to continue the sermon series that Joe started a few, uh, oh, four weeks ago now, I guess, called Why? Why? Before I get into the subject matter today, I want you guys to do something with me. Just, uh, and it'll be easy since there's not that many as usual in here today. Everybody just kind of look to your right and then look over to your left. Look behind you and look up front. Okay? Everyone you just saw is either in the midst of a struggle, recently have come through a struggle of some sort, or will shortly be facing a struggle. This morning I want to talk to you about the question why won't God take away my struggle? Why won't God take away? My struggle. Have you ever asked that before? Have you ever asked God to take away your struggle, but he seems silent? When I was about 16 years old, which is just a couple years ago, I went through one of the most difficult periods of time in my life. I, I, was, I was a sophomore in high school, and I, I woke up, and I don't, even, I don't even remember exactly when it started, but I just remember at some point I just was overcome with this sense of hopelessness, sadness. I, I didn't really want to get out of bed in the morning. I didn't really find a lot of enjoyment in the things that I used to find enjoyment in. Life became a miserable drudgery. You guys know what that's called? Depression. And back in the 70s, you know, we didn't really understand all that much about depression. You know, not like we do today. And, and, and especially at that time, you know, the, the whole Christian counseling movement hadn't really taken off. And so there wasn't a lot of people writing about it. You had, you had Dr. Dobson, who, who was probably the leader at that time. But, you know, in most of our churches, there wasn't a lot of talk about Christian counseling and getting help. When you, when you had an issue like that, you went and you talked to your pastor. Or you talk to your parents, you talk to your friends, you, you just did the best you could to work through it. And that's kind of where I was. But I want to tell you something. It was one of the most difficult times in my life. And unfortunately, it wasn't the end. It was only the beginning. Because from that period, and I eventually did come out of that particular bout with depression. But my life was a series of moving in and out of anxiety episodes and depressive episodes. And that started again when I was about 15 and really didn't go completely, and it's not completely gone now, but didn't get to the place where I would have said, you know, it's behind me until just a few years ago. And many of you might be or might have experienced something similar to that. I remember times of just crying out to God and just begging him to take it away. Because when we're in pain, we don't want to go through. We just want out, right? I mean, any of you ever go to the dentist and say, no, I don't think I really want the Novocaine today. Fire that drill up, get in there. I just want to experience the pain. You know, anybody do that? We don't like pain. And so our response to pain is, God, get me out. And it's normal. It's human. It's the way God created us. 
We're not supposed to enjoy pain. And when I was going through that experience, I certainly wanted out. I can remember, I would usually go into the shower when I was taking my shower. Nobody could really hear me or see me. And those were the moments I just let it all out, you know. I just screamed out to God, cried out to God. God, please take it away. Sometimes it was an angry cry of my heart. God, why won't you take this away? I didn't understand it. And I didn't get it. And some of you may be experiencing something like that. Now, it might not be depression and anxiety for you. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's a debilitating disease. Perhaps it's a a relational issue. A marriage is falling apart. You've lost somebody you love. You're going through this very, very, very difficult time. Your job uh, situation has just hit the wall and you're out of work. Who knows? Our stories are different, but the bottom line is the same. We struggle and we want out. So why won't God take away our struggles? One of the things I had to learn in my journey of healing was that God uses our struggle to transform us. Now, if God could, would come to me now, some 40 years later, and say, I want to perform a great miracle for you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to go back, you know, and live your life without the pain. No more depression, no more anxiety. We're going to rewrite those last 40 some odd years or whatever it's been. But you're not going to be where you are today. You're not going to know what you know. You're not going to have this, you know, the relationship with me is going to be different. Everything you learned, you will lose. There would be a part of me that would be tempted to say, I'll take that. Yeah, let me go back because I don't want to experience that. Or if he would say to you, if God would make you a similar offer, say, you know, I'm going to make you a deal. You can suffer and you can struggle, and I'm going to change your life through it. You're going to experience me in dimensions and in ways that you never thought possible. Or you can be free from pain and free from struggle, but not experience me And not experience that new dimension of relationship that I have for you. If God made you that deal, what would you do? I think I might say, you know, Lord, I love you, but I really don't want the pain. We want out. We don't want to go through it. We want out. And God uses our struggles, God uses our pain as times of transformation. He's not just interested in cleaning us up on the outside. God isn't just interested in changing us. He is interested in transforming us. He wants to make something new out of each and every one of us this morning. We cry out for help. We cry out for deliverance. We cry out for healing. But nothing seems to change because we have got to learn the most important lesson of all. We've got to learn how to press in as we press on. Pressing in while we press on is the key to our healing journey. The fact of the matter is that our worst struggle can become the source of our greatest blessings. I know that might sound a little bit like a a cliche, but it's true. 
The very thing that hurts the worst, when we press into Jesus and we surrender to him, God will transform and make it become the greatest source of blessing. Hosea was a prophet that lived and prophesied to the people of Israel. And his prophecies were really, um, really kind of negative, doom, gloom, and judgment, you know. God's going to get you kind of thing. And, and, but here in the midst of, of, or early on actually in his book, he speaks to the children of Israel. God speaks through the prophet Hosea. And he talks to them without the, the judgmental tone. I want you to listen to this in Hosea chapter 2 in verses 14 and 15. But then I will win her back, that's Israel, once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. You see, God wants to transform your valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. The word there for the valley of trouble is a Hebrew word called akor. And it was taken from the story of Achan, who, who when the children of Israel were at war, I think it was with Jericho, he stole some of the loot that was supposed to be dedicated to God. And because of that, God's anger burned against not only him, but all of Israel. And so God declared that he and his entire family must die because of his sin. And so they took his family, they took Achan, into this valley of Akor, or trouble, or distress. And that's where they killed him and his family. But God is saying here, through the prophet Hosea, that his intention and desire for us is to transform our valley of Akor, is to transform our valley of trouble into a place of healing and a gateway of hope. But when does this valley of trouble become a gateway of hope? How does that happen? It happens when we learn to lean into Jesus in the midst of the struggle. It, learns when we, it comes when we learn to press into Christ when, when, we, when we learn to draw near to him, engage with him in the midst of the struggle instead of wanting out of the struggle. It's about transformation. And when I think of transformation, I often think of the caterpillar. You're familiar with the story of the caterpillar, right? The journey of the caterpillar as he becomes a beautiful butterfly. It's a very difficult experience for this caterpillar. It's a struggle. It's, a, it's, 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 it's difficult while he's inside of this cocoon. And the word that we really talk about or we're talking about is metamorphosis. You guys remember that from your science days? Metamorphosis. And we get the word metamorphosis from a Greek word called metamorpho. And, and it appears four times in the New Testament. And metamorpho really talks about transformation. It talks about a, a process of becoming it means a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. And that's exactly what God does through this process of struggle. It is during the time of struggle, it is during the time of pain, that God gets our attention and he can transform us. And in the process of our internal transformation, our valley of trouble 
becomes a gateway of hope, healing, and power. But it's a metamorphosis. It's a, it's a process. It's a journey. This word I mentioned, uh, this Greek word metamorpho, is mentioned four times in the New Testament. Matthew and Mark both refer to it in the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. Are you guys familiar with that story? Jesus takes his disciples, right? And he goes up onto the mountain. And he there begins to be, the word is transfigured before them. And that word transfigured is metamorpho, or transformed. Transfigured, transformed. His deity, his divine nature becomes uh, visible. The light, his brightness shines and his glory shines. And he's so, he, he becomes so radiant that the disciples have to, have to turn their heads and close their eyes because he's just becoming something that they can't even look upon. That's a metamorphosis. That's a change or a transformation. Paul talks about it and uses the word metamorpho in Romans 12 too when he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Be metamorphosized. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul uses it again when he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. That's the process that God has in mind when we press in during our times of struggle. Pressing in is a transformational journey. It's not a a formula. It's not a step one, two, and three, or A, B, and C. It's a journey of transformation. And the Apostle Paul understood this journey, and he wrote about it. He said, in order to keep me from being conceited, some of us might need to listen to this, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. That sounds like struggle, doesn't it? To torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times the Apostle Paul. Now, who was Paul? Remember Paul. He was second only to Jesus in terms of being the most influential person in the first century Christian movement. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. This is a man who had incredible power with God, who spoke the word and demons fled. This is the man who preached and people were converted. He built and established churches all over the known world at that time. And yet in the midst of his struggle, a man who knew God at a depth that that many of us could never even imagine, he pleaded with God three times. In a sense, Paul said, Lord, take away my struggle. It's too much. Take it away. I can't bear up under it. But listen to Jesus' response. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, three times Paul said, take it away, and three times God said no. I won't. Because in your struggle, Paul, and through your struggle, Paul, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to do something amazing. You're going to enter into new dimensions of relationship with me that you could have never known before. And it's going to happen, Paul, through your struggle. So I'm not taking you out. I'm leaving you there. And Paul got it. 
He learned the secret of pressing into Jesus during these times because he went on to write, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. When's the last time somebody insulted you and you said, Wow, that felt so good. Could you just say that again? But a little more, you know, mm, yeah. I delight in that. Paul says, I delighted. Paul wasn't crazy, but he learned the secret. He was able then to delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. You know? I mean, think about our difficulties. Some of you are going through some stuff that I can't even imagine. I may be going through things that you can't even imagine. But the Apostle Paul, this guy went through it. I mean, he, was, he knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be naked without, you know, without any, any clothes and it's cold outside. He was shipwrecked several times. He was beaten many times. He was, he was stoned and left for dead. I mean, that's hardship. That's trouble, you know? Sometimes for me, I mean, if you're like me, I mean, my hardships, they don't really compare to that. You know, one of the hardships I'm dealing, right, I'm dealing with right now is I got these little black lines running through my high-def television, you know? It's a strong, that's a hardship, right? I mean, but, but that's kind of the way we are, and, and we're so used to having it made, so to speak. But Paul knew what it was like. To really, really suffer. And I'm not making light at all of some of, some of where you guys are at or, or where some of you are at. Because I understand that some of you are in a very difficult and terrible lonely place. I deal with it every day in the counseling office. I understand that. I do. And I've lived through the pain, emotional pain. And I understand what that's like. But Paul got it. He learned the secret of leaning in and pressing in as he pressed on. So what is this journey that I'm talking about? What does it look like? Let me give you just five real quick, five things or, or five characteristics of the journey of transformation. It starts by an understanding that God is in all things God. We get that from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Paul again says, we know that God, get this, that God causes, that's an important word, that God causes all things to work together for good. Now understand, Paul's not saying that horrible bad things that happen to us are good. It's not what he's saying. He said God causes all things to work together for good. You see, God is in all things God. And some of those all things that God uses aren't very pleasant. God uses times of plenty. God uses times of refreshing. God uses times of joy. But often God uses your struggle. Often God uses your trouble. Often God uses your pain to work together and accomplish something good, something transformational. And until you realize that God is in all things God, you can never go very far in this journey of transformation. It also involves a radical change of perspective, where before we focus mainly on the struggle, 
the conflict, what we're going through, our circumstances. In order to experience God's healing and transformation, we have to learn to begin to see beyond that and into something that Leanne Payne calls the unseen real. We have to learn to tap into the unseen realities of the kingdom of God that's all around us, looking beyond the circumstances and leaning into and pressing into, choosing to believe that God is there, that he hasn't left us, that he hasn't abandoned us. Paul said, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed. How? He says the reason that we can say that is because we have learned to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now this also leads us to a deeper connection with God. This journey of transformation when we understand that God is the all things God. And we we begin to begin to have a radical change of our perspective. We begin then to have a deeper connection with God. We go deeper into him as we press in. It creates intimacy with God. I know some of you men are already flinching because I said the I word. You know, I said intimacy. Men don't like to talk about that. And I know because I are one. And I don't like it sometimes either. But when it comes to this idea of intimacy, guys, we've got to realize that, do you know that's what God created us for? We are created, designed from our brains to our soul. Everything about us is created for intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. And yet we fear it and we run from it. Pressing in also means to learn to, uh, to abide in his presence. We learn as we have this deeper connection with God to remain with him. Not to just show up on Sunday mornings, but to abide in his presence throughout the week. And that leads to the fourth thing, greater freedom. Greater freedom. Listen, is there something in your life that just keeps you bound up? Something you just can't seem to get free from? Something you just can't seem to get past? As we press into Christ, we experience more intimacy with him, a deeper connection with him, which gives us this greater freedom, the ability to, to break the chains, to move past these habits that have, that have bound us for such a long time. And it's a journey of healing and reclamation where we reclaim. Listen, this is a weird concept, but it's so true. Depending on the depth of your woundings growing up in early childhood and throughout your life, there's probably pieces of you, parts of your personality, parts of you that you have just left behind. And they need to be reclaimed, brought into the healing embrace of Jesus Christ in order to be truly free. And then finally, this journey leads us into becoming what Henry Nouwen called the wounded healer. The wounded healer is simply somebody who uses their wounds and their weaknesses as instruments or vessels of healing for other people. We use the fact that we're broken to help other people that are broken. We don't hide. We don't run from or stay in the, in the dark with the things that we've struggled with in our lives. But we allow God to use the very broken parts of us 
to connect with other people who are hurting and broken too so that God can heal them through us. Is that biblical? Well, according to Paul, once again, it is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, reads this, he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Who is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see what he's saying? When I hurt and I receive God's healing and comfort, in my brokenness, I can go to you and be a comfort to you. And it's not just me that comforts you, but it's actually God who will use my brokenness as a vessel for his comfort to be poured into you. Does that make sense? That's what the wounded healer is. But the problem is that many of us don't want to be a wounded healer. We want to be hidden. We want to keep our scars and our, our, our battles hidden. We don't want to talk about it. We come to church and we go, shh, don't want to talk about that stuff. As if we don't really know that we're truly broken. The caterpillar's transformation into the butterfly is a very painful experience. Did you, did you know that the caterpillar actually, while he's inside the cocoon, he actually digests himself. I'm going to gross some of you out right before lunch. He digests himself and creates this like biological soup. Anybody having soup today? And from this biological soup, the butterfly arises. Now thank God he doesn't ask us to do that in our struggles, in our journey. But the caterpillar's struggle into becoming a butterfly is a very painful one. And our, you know, our journeys are like that. God uses our struggles to accomplish an amazing transformation. He wants us to learn the secret of pressing in as we press on. He wants us to learn the secret of trusting and believing his promises he will do what he says he will do. He wants us to learn how to appropriate the provision that he has for us. To take hold of the resources that are ours in Christ. And he wants us to learn to abide in his presence. Those three things, as we move and press into Jesus, will transform us like the caterpillar, into the butterfly. Because what the, caterpillar, what the caterpillar calls the end of the world, the maker calls the butterfly. 